Athletic. Right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. As your mattress dries out, yeah? The amount of beds wetting after the nil-nil draw at Manchester United was absolutely stunning. But should we be getting so excited? Well, that's the question that we'll get into with James Pearce and Simon Hughes. But as ever, let's start with those three words. Simon, have you prepared this week? It's Christmas. You'll be on the naughty step. Santa won't be coming if you haven't got three words. I'm just going to get the podcast off to a really um, energetic start, but far too slow. First, well, yeah. James? Calm yourselves down. Yeah, well, yeah, there's also that. I agree. I agree with both of those things. Let's see what they're saying over at the Walk On Podcast Facebook group. Alan Corrigan, improve heading ability. Ian Harty, what's the panic? Joshua Campo, goal scoring drought. And Glyn Robinson, rallying cry dismantle the gunners to join our community of listeners on facebook just search walk on podcast and join the group let's be honest it was frustrating wasn't it james we had something like what was it 340 shots and like (laughs) but did any of them look like scoring did any of those shots look like scoring no not particularly that kind of summed up liverpool's day didn't it i mean 34 shots is the most they've had on record in a Premier League game without scoring. Yet, it, it wasn't the kind of day, was it, where you walked away thinking, wow, that that United goal led a charmed life, or Onana pulled off four or five you know, heroic saves. I can think of some some games in the not-too-distant kind of past when David De Gea kept United in it at Anfield at times, and... Um, yeah, it was. It, it just wasn't like that. I think you know the fact that I think out of those thirty-four shots, fifteen of them were from outside the box, and that kind of summed up for me the desperation levels of and the decision making that just let Liverpool down time after time. You know, the execution wasn't good enough when chances did come along. They were snatched at. Yeah, for all the possession, what was it? Nearly seventy percent of the ball. They they really didn't do anything like enough with it. And um, yeah, you could see by the body language at the end. You know, United celebrated like they won the game, despite the reality that they're still on their worst run at Anfield since the seventies. Yet for Liverpool, it was a draw that felt like a defeat. Yeah, so all those shots. I mean, I sat here watching it going, "Don't shoot from there! Don't shoot from there!" It's funny, you know, Tony, because I've got a mate. I'll name check him, you know, Ian Collins, right? He says, he's been saying for years, we don't shoot enough from outside the box, you know. And I think in his head is still in 1997 when Patrick Berger used to do it every game. And then suddenly we've started doing it and it's clearly not, you know, clearly not quite working. And I think some of it's because you've seen Alexis McAllister and uh, Zobosly score from range. So maybe some of the, you know, the players have taken a bit of confidence from that this season. But it obviously just didn't work out on, on Sunday. I thought United deserved something from the game, really. Liverpool didn't put them under enough real pressure. I thought they, 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 it wasn't like, as James said, they, they weren't really clinging on. It was it, it was a solid enough defensive performance. But I think this for Liverpool wasn't that much of a surprise for me because they haven't really been playing that well for a month or so now. You know, they haven't said it a few times on this pod, they haven't really offered a full 90 minutes performance really maybe Aston Villa is that, is that fair maybe this season I don't know so you know I, I just think there's a balance to be had here Liverpool are a good side 
they're not quite as good as what some people are claiming. But equally, you know, I, I think that drawing at Man United at home doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to compete for the title this season because, you know, you look at the teams that you're up against. I, I would suspect Man City will get their injuries back, you know, and, and be stronger in the second half. So it's a, it's a shame, maybe for Liverpool's perspective, that the, the gap is only four points at the moment. But yeah, I, I don't think it was like a real, oh my God, this is we have to check and double check now. That performance really is, is being part of a bit of a pattern, I think, for, for several weeks. So that that is something that I think they need to work on. You know, I think they need to be more urgent, just like far too sort of patient, really. And I'm sure we'll get into the conversation about the atmosphere in a bit, but I think that's just contributed towards people not being on the feet and getting excited. Yeah, James, the passing was ponderous, wasn't it? And afterwards, Van Dijk said only one team wanted to win. Well, you know what? There's a lot to be said for not getting beat. I, I didn't have a problem with what Virgil said, to be honest. I think he was I think he was right. Only one team approached it like you know, they had intentions of winning the game. But I didn't also, you know, I, I you know, I didn't really understand why Roy Keane took offence to that because I thought United approached the game in exactly the way you'd expect them to. And why would you, if you're United with the torrid run that they're on, why on earth would you approach it any other any other way? And you have to say that they, they did a really good job, United, of stifling Liverpool. The, the other thing was that, for me, that where so often this season Klopp's substitutions have kind of improved Liverpool, that didn't really happen on Sunday either. And in fact, you know, as he kind of changed personnel and changed the system, it actually became a lot more open to the point where Liverpool could easily have lost that game. You think of the, the Hoyland chance when, when Alisson pulls off a great save, you know, the the counter-attack that ends with Trent Alexander-Arnold just getting a toe-in and crucial last-ditch challenge on uh, Garnacho. So, um, you know, Liverpool were on the front foot. They were the team showing the ambition, but I don't think there's, it would be it would be very churlish to criticise United for how they approached it because Liverpool knew they Liverpool knew what they'd be facing. They knew that they just weren't good enough to to break them down and. You know, what a contrast to when you look at the stats, it was the same number of shots on target Liverpool had on Sunday as they had in March when they stuck seven past them. You know, yet this time around, it was it was just a little bit soul-destroying how often attacks broke down in the final third because there was a glaring lack of quality where back in March, Liverpool were, were incredibly ruthless that day. Hey, let's get a bit deeper into Sunday's game. Let's go beyond the frame with Google Pixel, the official mobile phone of Liverpool Football Club. And this is where James looks under the surface of one of the main themes of the weekend's action. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. Everything you're about to hear has been recorded using Google Pixel's Audio Magic Eraser tool. That means that instead of our journalists' audio being drowned out by the crowd, the audio sounds just the way the journalist you're about to hear wants you to. You'll hear them loud and clear thanks to Audio Magic Eraser removing distracting sounds in Beyond the Frame. Requires Google Photos app. May not work on all images or all audio elements. We're here at Anfield. Darwin Nunes certainly cut a very frustrated figure for Liverpool. That's now 10 appearances without a goal for the big Uruguayan. And you can see that it is getting to him. There was a moment in the first half where he, he lost his rag and barged into Johnny Evans and booted the ball away and got, got a book in for his troubles. And he was, you know, it, was, it wasn't a day actually when you could really bemoan his, uh, his kind of wastefulness in the final third, which has been a complaint of Nunes at times. He, he really didn't get the service. He had you know, one, 
one chance when Alexander-Arnold picked him out and Nunes ended up going, deciding to nod it back across goal rather than, than go to score himself. And, you know, sometimes his decision-making does let him down. But I still think you, know, you can still sense that the fans here are, are fully behind him. They, they see, I think, that there's the tools there to really, really be a, a, a dominant number nine in this, in this Jurgen Klopp team that's competing for the big prize. And, and there certainly have been you know, plenty of examples this season so far of, of him showing that he is adapting and that he is fitting in more, I think, into the team dynamic. There is a lot of promise there. Some of his link-up play in terms of combining with teammates, you know, that, that has certainly improved as well. I think just... What all Liverpool fans want to see from Darwin Nunes is a bit more end product because you know that there's a 25, 30 goal a season man in there. It's just, it's just not quite happening for him at the minute. And he, he desperately does need a goal just to, just to boost his confidence. And uh, certainly with that huge game against Arsenal on the horizon next Saturday, that would be the perfect time for him to end that drought. Beyond the frame with Google Pixel. Say, Darwin, we've been on that roller coaster, haven't we, before? He's great. No, he isn't. He's great. No, he isn't. He's not good enough. Oh, he's just scored. You know, where where do you stand on Darwin? The frustrating element of the performance on Sunday, I thought, was his movement generally was quite poor. It was hard because United had sort of two banks of, of four, really, four, a four and a five at times. So, you know, in, in those situations, you've got to create space for yourself now. Maybe I'm comparing him too much to Firmino, who would float around and create, you know, just just intelligently find space for himself. He's not that sort of player, which makes me question to some degree why Liverpool signed him in the first place. If if they're trying to become more of a possession team and you've got a player who's clearly a counter-attacking player, you know, who's going to have to wait for his chances, then, you know, it doesn't really make sense to to, to me. So he didn't didn't have a great, great game, really. So there's a lot of work to do with him still. I can understand why people like him because, you know, he, he does things that are unpredictable and, you know, can, can sometimes score from like sort of 20 yards when you least expect it. But I don't know, he, he has been very poor, I think, for the last for the last month, really. I mean, people forget that Firmino's goal-scoring record for Liverpool wasn't great as well. You know, he went big periods without, but he contributed in other ways, whereas... Darwin isn't really, I don't think, I'm sure the manager would argue otherwise, but he was, you know, for, I'd say, for the second game on the bounce, really, he was pretty anonymous. Yeah, I mean, you're right, people moaned about Firmino not scoring all the time. Is James, is Cody Gakpo where they run in that Firmino position, the false nine? I mean, he's only started once in the league up front since the defeat by Tottenham. Yeah, it crossed my mind. I must admit, on the on the weekend, although you know you'd have to say the drought that Darwin's on is exacerbated by the fact that that Gagpo and Diaz aren't contributing in the final third either. That that is that's the other thing. I got, I've got a bit of sympathy for Gagpo because it feels like he gets shifted around an awful lot. You know, we've seen him playing as the kind of one of the the number eights in midfield. We've seen him left hand side. He was on the right hand side, wasn't he, for part of Sunday's game after he came on. But I think you could see that he's short of confidence as well. He was taking shots from, you know, crazy areas and was just trying too hard. He, he a lot of his play on when he came on smacked of like pure desperation. But I do, yeah, I do wonder whether it is time to just mix it up and give him an opportunity through the middle as a number nine and maybe take Darwin out of the firing line and, and use him 
off the bench. I mean, it was you, you just want to see more from him. And I know that there were mitigating factors against United because we know Darwin's strengths are when there's space in behind to exploit. And of course, United were play were, were defending so deep that there wasn't that space. But you, you still need your number nine to influence games and to. If he, he, he just spent far too much time on the periphery, I must admit, I, ch- I checked the Opta stats just before half time. He touched the ball eight, eight times in the first half, which is is crazy, really, when you think how much of the ball Liverpool has. It's it's frustrating because it's crazy. Like you know, he scored that amazing goal, didn't he, down at Bournemouth in the Carabao Cup, and you thought that that night, wow, you know, the confidence that you must take from a moment like that, and he hasn't scored since. Have your say and get involved by emailing walk on at theathletic.com. The thing that struck me as well, say si, the front three are not as good as Klopp's iconic front three. We know that. But the thing that, that makes it so different from Klopp's best phase is the lack of width. Yeah, it does. I, I really noticed, noticed it because I was uh, in the new upper Annie Rhodes on Sunday. So I suppose when you're behind the goal, you, you see the full width of the pitch. And there seemed to be lots of occasions where it was like this on repeat. Liverpool would get the ball out to Diaz. He was positioned, I think, too far away for the goal, from the goal to start making his run infield. He'd dart infield, look for a pass, which wouldn't be there. And then sort of almost check back. And then there was no one overlapping him on the on the left as well. Because I think Simakas is, is or the left-back's role is slightly different in the system. So it was all funneled through the middle. Now, this must be a deliberate thing. You know, it must be... I, th- I think now Liverpool are t- attempting to become a more control-based team. But dare I say it, it was... It, I mean, they obviously didn't win. I'd probably be saying, different, saying differently if they, they had won, even 1-0. But it's pretty boring to watch, really. You know, like, under the best clock teams, it's been sort of whip, getting to the touchline in a lot of cases and, and, and square in the pass. Just not seeing that anymore. So, uh, and, and meanwhile, I don't think they've necessarily got the players in the midfield who are the sort of intricate passes. I think Alexis could be, but he's have to play as an eight, not as a six. It's just not quite fusing at the moment. Um, I, I'd be interested to see if Gap, what it'd be like if Gapo played centre forward, really, because I think he's the closest thing that they've got to for me. You know, in terms of he really take. I actually say sometimes when he, you know, when he's confident, he takes care of the ball a little bit better than Firmino. And his movement's very good and creates space for others to run into. At the moment, it just feels like you've got Nunes through the middle. Unless he's charging about or stand, you know, he's either charging about everywhere, like, and nobody really knows where he's running, or he's standing still, which isn't creating space for anyone. So, yeah, there's quite a few things to sort out there, I, I think. Because um, it, it contributed, I think, towards like the atmosphere being a bit flat, really, because I say no, no goal mouth action, not, not a great deal of speculation other than. Some mad shots from like 25 yards. James, here's a question. Does Klopp know his best front three? Does he know his best midfield three? Um, That long delay tells me. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to... I mean, it's awkward, isn't it? Because of the injury situation, he hasn't really ever had... It's been pretty rare that he's had the full complement. I'm just trying to think when he has had the full complement to, to pick from, really. I think, by, by and large, his first choice front three is the one that started on Sunday because as well as Gagpo did in the second half of last season when he came in and he he made that false nine role his own, 
they've clearly seen enough from Darwin Nunes over the course of preseason to believe that he was ready to to kick on. So I think he always looked much more likely to be the the starting central striker this season. And then you know you've almost got Jota and Gagpo as backup really to to Diaz, and you've got you've got Salah obviously on the on the right hand side, but. I do I do think Liverpool have really missed Jota. I think sometimes I think Jota is a lot of what he does do goes under the radar and chips in with a lot of important goals. The fact that, you know, what has he been missing now for a, a month? I think he's missed six games with that hamstring issue and he's still joined second top scorer with eight in all competitions. Midfield is I think Klopp would probably say McAllister and Zabozlai are clearly, you know, two of the starting three. But then I think the other the other spot when everyone's fit is up for grabs. I think I think that is unclear. Endo has shown flashes without ever really being completely convincing. Same with Gravenberg. I think he's had really good moments, yet you know he, he's not been consistent. We've seen Harvey Elliott. We've seen Curtis Jones come in and make you know contributions at times, but neither of them have have kind of nailed down a spot. So I'd say it's probably that midfield area where there's a lot more uncertainty than at the top end of the pitch in terms of what actually is the strongest lineup. And it's not helped by the fact that Zabozlai is a player that started the seasons incredibly as has gone off the boil. He had an absolute stinker, didn't he, on Sunday? Yeah, it was you know, it was a shake. I don't think he's been great for probably the last month or so. And you kind of think, well, because he... You know he's got that swagger to him usually, hasn't he? And, you, and I thought maybe, maybe such a big game, you know, his first taste of that rivalry, maybe it will, it will be the day that things click back into gear for him. But it just, it just didn't happen again. Like so wasteful in possession. I think again, like I was looking at, I think Opto had him down as giving it away twelve times in the first half alone. You know, and it was telling the fact that when Klopp made the changes second half, the Gravenberg one was a fitness decision, but Zabozlai coming off was was clearly just tactical because Klopp knew it just wasn't working. So, is there a title race with Man City dropping points to my good friend Roy? And, you know, I had that moment of respect for him last week, didn't I? You know, I just... That, that's why they did it, really, Crystal Palace, because I believe in Roy. <sighs> well, I think it shows, you know, winning a Palace, obviously... Wasn't a bad result in the end, was it? They obviously managed to summon a bit of uh, confidence to, to, you know, to come back from two 0 down at City. You know, take some doing, really. I, I would say. I mean, it's just the same old thing. We expect City to be stronger in the second half of the season, not just because of the, the track record of doing it, but because they have had players injured. You know, big players injured this, the last couple of weeks, which has affected the form. So you're expecting them to get better. I always felt at the start of the season. I just felt that Liverpool were maybe one, maybe two players short to have a, a proper go. And then you need sort of look around injuries. You need your players like certainly Nunes and Diaz to be contributing. I mean, you, you said before, it's only about like the uh, the not as good as the ones that they've, re- well, sort of implied that they're not as good as the ones are replacing. I, I, sadly, I, I do agree with that. It's hard to replace two players who will probably go down, well, they will go down as, as Liverpool greats. But, at the end, of the day, they're just not scoring enough goals or contributing enough in terms of the the attacking threat. I think, but that's not to say that they can't improve from where you know the way they've been performing recently. So we've got we've got Salah to, to disappear in January as well, haven't we? For certainly at least a few weeks, possibly as long as a month, he'll be determined to win 
AFCON because it's the, the one thing that, you know, one thing, one of the major trophies he hasn't won in his career. And if he is, he'll, he'll be away for, for nearly four weeks. So uh, that that is a thing for Liverpool to think about. I'll be interested to see who plays on the right in that situation. Um, they're in a good place at the moment. It's not, not to be down, you know, down about, you know, they're playing, if, they, if they beat Arsenal at the weekend, the, the Man United conversation's forgotten about and you're going into Christmas absolutely bouncing. So, and there is a chance they beat Arsenal. There's a chance, isn't there? So I can understand the frustration with the performance. I thought it was a really poor performance against United. But the great thing about football is there's always a chance to put that right. And, you know, if you're playing Arsenal, I think Arsenal at home is one where, you know, surely all these players who just didn't perform will be absolutely desperate to put it right. You know, as a slide particularly, like, you know, his passion was atrocious at the weekend. He's going to have to come up with a big performance, I think, because he hasn't played well for a long time, for quite a long time now. And he, he, need, he needs to sort of provide that sort of impetus because I think at the start of the season when Liverpool did play with some intensity, a lot of it came from him. You know, he wasn't afraid to to try and force the issue a bit more and make one of those passes or have a a sensible shot from outside the box, you know, or or just just try something a bit more a bit more forceful. So he need, he's a player that Liverpool needs to step without with, a doubt. Definitely. But I've got to say, you know, we we have been. Perhaps a little negative for the first half of this podcast. But if you would have said to me at the end of July, going into Christmas, you've got Arsenal coming up, you're in front of City. If if things go well, they could be 10 points clear in Man City by the time City come back after the World Club Championship. I mean, expectations have been lifted from July, and perhaps that's why we're a bit overly negative. But you've got to say... This is a team that hasn't clicked. And, James, there's still enough potential if they do click and go on a run. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think sometimes you do have to take a step back and and, and actually look at the bigger picture. You're right, when you think back to the summer, going into August, it really did feel like a step into the unknown because there'd been so much upheaval to lose, you know, so much experience in, in one summer. And I think it was... Over sixteen hundred appearances for the club. If you you know you jot it up with the the six senior players that that moved on. Kater made three, didn't he? <laughs> and the, uh, you, to lose your captain and your vice captain in the same summer is pretty rare. And to rebuild an entire department of the of the squad as well. And you know, of course, it wasn't plain sailing with missing out on Caicedo and Lavia and um and then you know there was the unwanted distraction of the saudi pursuit of of salah that they had to dig in to to keep hold of him so yeah i think if anyone had said back then that liverpool would be a point off the top of the premier league table in the quarterfinals of the carabao cup and in the last 16 of the europa league you'd have gone yeah we'll, we'll definitely shake on that but i think it, it's more the fact that you're right expectations probably have been a bit raised by how well they've done um, and they're ahead of schedule, definitely. When you look at you know what Klopp is trying to bed in, I remember you know he he spoke to the players about how this. He said, you know, I might have been here eight years, but for this group, it's year one. And sometimes you have to remember that that you know I think before a ball was kicked, the the main target was right. Got to get back in that Champions League. That is the target. And and at the minute, Liverpool are well placed to achieve that. I, th- I think an opportunity has opened up. I think that's the thing that you. As much as Liverpool have exceeded expectations, also you look at the other teams that are up there and you think, well, actually, you know, you don't need to be perfect this season to win the league. You look at City's issues and, of course, they'll be stronger. You look at Arsenal and, yeah, I think Arsenal are better 
equipped than they were last year. Um, and they've learned lessons from missing out then. You look at Villa have to command respect with the job that Emery has done down there. But I think sometimes because, because we were used to going for titles with Man City when you had to get, you know, what did Liverpool get? 97 points and didn't win the title. Or 92 points, didn't win the title. You almost think like any game where you don't pick up three is a disaster when the reality is that this season you're probably looking at, you know, mid-80s at most to win the title. So, you know, there, there's going to be some setbacks along the way. I think the, the big unknown is we don't know how, you know, what the pace of development is going to be for Liverpool from now on in. So I think I think everyone would admit that if Liverpool continue to play like they have done, they won't win the title. We know that. You know, they have to be more convincing. They have to play with more control. Klopp himself has talked about them not having stability. You can't keep on, you know, fighting back from a goal down and digging it out in the last few minutes. You know, it, it's thrilling and all the rest of it, and it shows resilience, but that isn't sustainable over the course of the season. You have to perform better. And at the minute, we don't know how quickly Liverpool can make those steps. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. Well, there's a really big week coming up, isn't it, say? I suppose, despite being in the quarterfinals of the Car- Carabao Cup, what we've all got our eyes on is the Arsenal game on Saturday. Well, I, I think people are barely talking about the, the West Ham game, but, you know, it's a big one for Liverpool, because if you win that, you're suddenly in the semis. If you think back to sort of the, the, the season before last, when they, they won... Uh, two cups, you know, really set the season up. I, I know it's a it's a cliche, isn't it? You know, we sort of win the first trophy available of the season, but I think it did help Liverpool as as the season went on. You know, sort of I know they won on penalties, but one of the best nil nil finals against Chelsea. I think you're ever going to see in that the first Carabao Cup final. So I, I think it's a big game that that, that Liverpool. Sh- it's a, it's a competition Liverpool should be trying to win, in, in my opinion, more so than the FA Cup. Actually, I think it's. You're obviously much much closer to the final now, so you've got to go for it. But it is it is a big week. I think you know if you come out of that with two wins, as I say, people are going to be very excited about the new year. Alternatively, if you come out of it with two defeats, two home defeats, that will you know mark Liverpool down. So it's a crucial week, I'd say. I mean, I, I know people don't like sort of certainly managers don't like sort of building the significance of games or groups of games up, but. You know, you can feel if Liverpool come out of this side, the other side of these two games with wins, 
it's surely going to give them a lot of confidence over the next uh, weeks and months. You'd think so. You'd think so. I mean, I saw someone on social media saying, and this was before Sunday, it's the biggest, it's one of the biggest weeks in Liverpool's history. And I was like, aye, aye, hang on. It's big-ish. But, you know, I mean, you're getting carried away there, son. But these are two big games. How do you feel about the Carabao Cup, James? Should they be trying to win it? I'm with Sai. Yeah, I'm with Sai. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, I think, I, I think it can only benefit Liverpool going as far as as possible in that you know the the club's got a fantastic history in it. You think back to that quadruple challenging season, and, and they they took a lot of momentum from that from winning that first trophy. And yes, they end up missing out by narrow margins on the the two biggest prizes up for grabs. But um, yeah, you speak to any of the players and staff involved in that, and they they felt that that. That was huge for them. So, um, yeah, I certainly wouldn't be holding anyone back for Arsenal. I think you've got to give West Ham the um, the respect they deserve. Just hope that David Moyes' record at, at Anfield can, continues. I think I was looking before and Moyes, without a win in 20 visits to Anfield as a manager, I think only only Bobby Robson with 23 has, uh, has ever gone ever gone longer than that. Yeah, and, you know, any time you get a chance to put one over on David Moyes, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Oh, but say, Arsenal, do you think the atmosphere will be any different to the much derided mood that was Anfield on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I, I know obviously the source of that comment was uh, was Gary Neville, wasn't it? <laughs> it's, it felt like sort of, particularly after last season, it felt it did feel like Keane and Neville were sort of waiting to sort of pounce any little thing, any slice that they could make, which is understandable, you know, the, the football fans still at the end of the day. But um, I would expect for a Saturday night game, it'll be better. You know, and I, I think people will be bristling after the, you know, fans will be bristling after the week, particularly the conversation that's followed. And I think, you know, the other thing is, sort of, if we're being honest, our, our Liverpool's season will be measured against sort of Arsenal more than Man United really this, e- this season I suspect you know they're much better team more likely to be challenging Liverpool I, as I said I, I, I watched the game from the, the upper Annie and I didn't sense that it was that flat maybe because I'm, I'm, I was watching it from a, a different vantage point I, I don't think it's just like suddenly you know Liverpool the atmosphere is is just terrible you know like it almost felt like it was a slight on the fans for not for not riling them up but I, the players have got to play a role in this the sad reality is that you just weren't aggressive enough, really, in the game. And I think it was a bit of a it was a game that did not deserve a red card, for example. So I think you know the, the players have got to get the fans on, got to get the fans really believing and get them get them going. It just didn't just didn't happen. And when when you like that fuse, it can be very it can be irresistible. But when it is flat, it is noticeable. It's not a new like, the way they were talking about it. It was like it was like this is a new. Th- it was almost like. Oh, I've never seen it like this before. I've seen it like that countless of times. There was a massive, massive overreaction to that. I I actually thought the atmosphere first 10, 15, maybe even 20 was brilliant, I thought. I know it was, you know, and you could sense early on the players fed off that energy from the stands because it gets lost in the aftermath. But Liverpool did really go after United early on. And and they did, you know, they did play with a high tempo. And, and, you know, that, that has been a failing this season that they haven't started games well enough, but they did start better. But it was one of them ones where I think I think a lot of I think there was a lot of anticipation in the stands we're going to smash these today. 
And then I think when Liverpool then start to lose their way, it's that kind of that link between the players and the fans and who feeds off who. And it and it became so flat and, and the decision making was so bad that that kind of like cauldron like noise suddenly flicked to kind of anxiety and frustration and, you know, as passes were misplaced and t- players taking the wrong option time after time. And then, as you know, as an away player, that's absolute music to your ears. And then, and then there were periods in the second half where it was quiet, but that, you know, that that was not out of the ordinary whatsoever. It was you needed something to get those fans going. And um, you know, even you think like just the fact that Arsenal were coming to town on the weekend, you think back to that game when our, when Arteta kindly picked a fight with Klopp on the touchline, and that you know that got everyone going, didn't it? And then Liverpool blew Arsenal away a couple of a couple of seasons ago. So, um, yeah, sometimes a game just needs something and that, that game just never got it. I think given that Arsenal did lose their head in that situation, I mean, I think one of the things that both the team and the crowd need to do is really approach the Arsenal game with a vigour that, you know, perhaps they've lacked a little this season, so. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I just I don't feel really... I, they have been aggressive enough in, in many of the home games. I know there's been excitement at the end of those games, you know, like Fulham being an example, one or two others, where it's almost been like, actually, we can't control this now. We just have to go for it. You know, that that it's actually been, been born out of necessity, those sorts of moments. Whereas I think particularly against Arsenal, I mean, Arteta speaks about Anfield a lot, you know, having played there as a, you know, for Everton for Arsenal. And then since gone there as manager and messed up a few times by his own actions. So it's definitely inside his head. And Liverpool, everyone's got a role to play in this. You know, the crowds have got to be on top of their dugout. You know, I, I, I think, you know, the management, the staff of both you know teams have got to try and wind them up a little bit, you know, to try and coax him into a situation where, which he might end up regretting. And I, I think it's a thing that's definitely in his head. If you've seen the the um, the series on on Amazon Prime with them, you know some of the preparation for games at Anfield is he talks about it a lot. There's a word that we use in Spain uh, on cycling when when a cyclist is going up and looks amazing, and in one kilometer he goes and looks like he's stuck and he can. Is a word is called pájara, and uh, and I I had it once. At Anfield, that the game was going there, and suddenly I was—I could only see red shirts flying around. The game is passing all over me, and I cannot react. And people were saying, "What is he doing?" And I am like, "I cannot do it. I cannot do it emotionally, physically. I cannot cope. Everything goes too fast." And I only had that feeling in my career once, and uh, and it was at Anfield. I think he's almost building it up too big, you know. So it's it's in his players' head. So I, I, I do think though Liverpool. For me, you know, I understand why sometimes you've got to control games, but I've always felt, you know, that the sort of the, the the heavy metal football of the sort of first three or four years of Klopp, I don't really understand why. I'd, I'd like to, it might be, I'm not sure whether he's answering any of my questions, but if, um, if I could ask him a question, it would be, why has the strategy changed? He would probably say, well, because, you know, the other teams figured out how to play against that. But I just think that that, why play the fullbacks pushing on the sort of the, the forward players going in fields and then the midfielders joining the attacking you know threats it was irresistible it was unstoppable really you know when you get it right you know it's it's unstoppable and I'd just like to see a bit more of that again feels like we haven't had much of it really for 
quite some time now. Well, again, as we mentioned before, missed Andy Robertson. That crossfield ball between Trent and Andy Robertson and vice versa was one of the most thrilling sights in football with them rampaging forwards. And I'd hope, James, they're going to be more direct and more intelligent against Arsenal. But it also strikes me that the Klopp teams have been at the best when the game gets ragged and Arsenal will at least come out and try and win it and the game could get very ragged very quick and who knows what will happen then? I think that's the thing. It will be a very different different type of game to the Man United where there's no chance that Arsenal will come and sit and just try and contain and thwart and frustrate like like Eric Ten Hag's team did. Um, you know, it, it'll, it'll ask a lot more questions of Liverpool defensively as well. You know, you think there's some big battles there, isn't there? With, you know, you've got Saka against Simakas, you've got Martinelli against Alexander-Arnold. How will Liverpool handle that? And if they can, if they can deal with that, then there'll be a lot more space to utilise on the counter-attack. There'll be a lot more space for Darwin Nunes to to try and exploit in behind and try and and try and finish the year on a on a high after this this drought he's he's been on and and then you know the other the, the other massive area is obviously going to be that that midfield where you know Liverpool haven't been able to control games they haven't been able to stamp their authority on it and take the sting out of proceedings at times enough and of course you know when you look at someone like Declan Rice who you know has has been a fantastic addition for Arsenal you know say what you want about the size of the price tag but he has definitely gone in there and given them something that they were lacking previously. Odegaard is a fantastically gifted footballer as well. Maybe you know, might, might see Havertz as the as the third member in there. So that's a depleted area of the of the the side for Liverpool. So um, yeah, it, it just it feels like do you know what this this feels like a such a big weekend. There's questions rightly being asked about this Liverpool team, despite how good they've been so far this season, and they need to come up with the answers against Arsenal because. They need to produce a performance that is on a different level to what we've seen over the past month. Because if, if they if they don't, then they won't get anything against Arsenal. That's it for 2023 here on Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll be back with you on the 3rd of January. Don't forget to keep up with our At The Match pods during the festive periods. Have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Well, we'd prefer that, but you can have a miserable one if you like. But we prefer... Yeah, to have a good one and come back and catch us in 2024. The Athletic.